All right, so we've been in First Peter, and, and Peter has written this letter to uh, these Jesus followers all throughout the known world as the gospel has spread. People are receiving that, and they're confronted with these challenges, right? For, for one, they're experiencing opposition, and, the, and they're asking, how do we walk through and navigate opposition and still follow Jesus? How do we do that? And, and, and so he's been addressing um, not only this new nature that we take on as Jesus followers, but then also uh, he's been speaking to specific people and how you uh, relate and translate following Jesus into your particular environment. He's addressed servants. He's addressed uh, wives and husbands and, and those that are married to someone who isn't a follower of Jesus. And so he's been walking through how you respond in that. And, and today what we're going to look at is essentially him saying, I'm going to address all of you now. Okay. And so in first Peter chapter three, uh, we'll start off by just reading verse eight uh, by itself. It says this, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So, so he kicks off by saying, finally, right? Now, he's not ending the letter. He's not ending the book, right? Uh, he's, he's essentially drawing to a close this conversation that, that he's been in, where he's been uh, essentially laying out what it looks like, right, to follow Jesus um, as somebody who uh, is a husband, a wife, a servant, whatever uh, area of life they may be in. And now he says, now let me speak to all of you, all of you right now that are followers of Jesus. I want to speak directly to you, um, and um, I want to share with you what this new life uh, looks like practically when there is this opposition. And the first thing he says is what? He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. Have unity of mind. Believers are to live in harmony together. Okay, we're, we're, we're to maintain this commitment to truth. And out of that commitment to truth, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, he produces a unity uh, of our hearts together. He unites us. Now, I want to be really clear. It is not expected that Christians will see eye to eye on everything. Amen? Right? You can just acknowledge. Yes. <laughs> Unity here doesn't mean uniformity. Okay? It means the ability to cooperate in the midst of diversity. Okay? Um, and in fact, there's a well-known expression that really helps uh, us um, understand that. It's this, it's in fundamentals, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in everything, love. In, in, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, uh, Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. 
Okay, so, so he's reiterating this one-mindedness, uh, this, this unity that we're called uh, to have. And, and even more so, as Peter's writing this, uh, when conflict arises, we're going to need each other. And, 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 and a severe persecution uh, unfolds for these people. Will they be able to be united in heart, in mind? Because as we know, persecution, uh, it either unites us in a powerful way or it brings to the surface all of the areas we're divided in. Okay, and so he's challenging them. He's pushing them to be united in uh, mind. Jesus instructed his disciples. He says, listen, the world's gonna be reached. They're gonna know me by how what? By how you love each other. And then he earnestly prayed. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, as we come to know it, he prays specifically for the unity of all believers. Look at John chapter 17, verses 19, or verses 20 through 23. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This is Jesus' prayer. This is Jesus' prayer for us. We, we, we've heard we, that, that as, as Jesus' followers, we're to be one in Christ. In other words, we're to, to be members of his body, and, and, and we're called to work together, right? To, to be a properly functioning body, we need to, to work together. Even though each part is different, it needs to work in unity. And, and listen, like I said, this is not uniformity, right? Um, Christians are going to differ on how things are to be done, okay? That's, that's, that's very, very clear, all right, when it comes to uh, the way someone teaches, uh, when it comes to uh, the worship, when it even comes to the color of chairs, we have our opinions, amen? Like we do, and, 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 and they're strong. <laughs> but here's what we have to do, you guys. Here's what we have to fight to do. We have to fight to keep the essentials. And this is why we went through the Apostles' Creed. We've got to fight to keep the essentials. We've got to fight to agree to the essentials, but more so we have to fight to keep them ahead of the non-essentials. Because that's how division oftentimes occurs, right? A lot of times it's not about essentials. It's the enemy will take something that I am passionate about that's a non-essential and I will all of a sudden elevate it of the very foundations of the faith. And that's when this happens. And so we have to identify that. We have to see that and we have to know what the heart of God is for us that say we follow Jesus. He then says we need to have sympathy. We need to have sympathy. Now, once again, this is sympathy towards people that, that are what? That are against us. So we're to have sympathy. Now, this meaning in the Greek is, is essentially sharing the same feeling. 
Okay, so sharing the same feelings. So we need to have sympathy uh, towards each other and uh, people that are far from God, right? So, so we have to essentially be ready to sympathize with people that are going through pain, people that are going through hurts. Uh, but we also need to uh, be ready uh, to uh, be there for them when uh, things are going great, right? To love someone is to care for someone. You can't separate it, right? And Jesus modeled uh, this sympathy because he is the sympathetic high priest. In, in Hebrews 4, 15, speaking of Jesus, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Okay, so, so whatever your view of Jesus was, we have this incredible Savior, Jesus, who sympathizes with our weaknesses. That is amazing. It's amazing. Some of you haven't seen him at all like that, have you? But we have a high priest who actually sympathizes with our weaknesses. And so we're called to share in the feelings that other people are going through, regardless of whether, once again, it's brokenheartedness, it's sorrow, or whether it's joy. Uh, we see this uh, throughout Scripture. In, in Romans 12, 15, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, Paul says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So this is the posture, this is the mindset that we're called to have with each other. And once again, we need to have this same sympathy towards people who don't know God, who are far from God. Because they're going through pain. They're, they're, they're struggling anxiously through this life. And, and, and it may be really tough for you to sympathize with them. Okay, it, it just might be. In fact, I, I have people ask me all the time, well, how do you sympathize with someone like that? Who believes that? Who thinks that? Who's doing that? How can you be gracious with them or sympathize that? And I go, well, ultimately, they don't know Jesus. They're not following Jesus. And so I'm not holding them to a standard like they do. And I'm also very aware that before I had a relationship with Jesus, um, I would view everything a lot differently than I do now. And so I'm able to draw back on that in order to just be sympathetic towards someone else who's going through something. Sympathetic even towards someone I, I may strongly disagree with, but because I know uh, that they don't know God, I'm able to sympathize with them. They're lost. And so, and so yeah, they're, they're going to make decisions that should be different than yours. And, and so we're not called to, 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 to just, you know, literally just label them and, and, and throw all these uh, words at them. We're called to actually sympathize. Why? Because people matter to God and they should matter to you. Every single person is made in the image of God. He then says, next is brotherly love. The kind of love among people who are closely related. And, and, and you guys, that's not an easy love to just hand out, right? Like when you think of family, uh, oftentimes family, it's just a totally different kind of love that we have for them. And, 
And, and, and, he's saying, and he's saying, listen, that's the kind of love you need to have for each other. As Jesus followers, we need to be an extension of this love. It needs to be happening in our church. And then as a result of it happening in the church, it will extend outward and the world will see this kind of love that we have for each other, the kind of love that Jesus said, I'm gonna use to introduce the world to me. And then he goes into being tenderhearted, which is very similar to sympathizing, isn't it? And in tenderheartedness, it really means having just a, a heart that is sensitive to the needs and the feelings of other people, right? And, and listen, when he's writing this in the Roman Empire, this is not a character that was a, a characteristic that they was like, oh, that's good. Right, that would be like looked down upon. And, and so the Christian message, once again, is changing the perspective of how people operate, how they think, how they treat each other. And so when we think about just being tenderhearted to, to, to someone else and what they're uh, going through, it, it, it's, it's tough because I don't know about you, but I know for myself, I am absolutely overwhelmed with the amount of tragedies and just bad news in our world. It's overwhelming. And, and because it's so overwhelming, it, it's so easy to just become calloused or cold to it, isn't it? To where you just stop having that heart that's sensitive to somebody else and what they're going through. And so there's different times, you guys, that we have to actually cultivate that. We have to fight for that compassion. We have to pray to have that compassion because God's gonna use that to show not only other brothers and sisters in Christ that we care, that we're concerned, but also people that don't know him. It's gonna show and demonstrate that we care. And then finally, Peter says, in order to experience this, this goodness of Christian life, he says we need to be humble in spirit. Humility. You guys, humility is arguably one of the most essential, all-encompassing virtues of the Christian life when you look at it all throughout scripture. In fact, Philippians 2, 3, Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I heard it said that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. And, 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 and this is something that is, once again, it's very countercultural because everything right now should be, according to culture, it should be about you. It should be about what you want. It should be about making you happy. And it should be about elevating you, right? He says that's not how we work. That, and, and, and so he gives, once again, a different uh, message for these Jesus followers in the midst of a lost and... Um, searching culture. Verse nine, he continues, he says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Okay, now there's certain things in scripture uh, that, that you look at, right? And you go, ooh, this is an area I struggle in. Peter is writing this and this is an area he struggled in. Like he was, he, I, I'm imagining as he wrote this, he went, ugh. Right? I mean, verse nine. <laughs> Do not repay evil for evil. Oh, boy. 
I hope they don't remember what I did when Jesus was getting arrested, right? <laughs> Where literally they're coming to arrest Jesus. So what does Peter do? Oh, yes, we love you. Let me pray for you. Let me bless you. No, he pulls out a sword, right? This is, this is the guy, and he's, and he's literally, he's, he's addressing two things, evil for evil, and then insult for insult. And this is a guy who just could not keep his mouth shut, right? Just Mr. Reaction, right? And so, so he says these words. As I read it, I just started laughing. Um, he says, do not repay, though, evil for evil. And so we're called, as Jesus followers, not to retaliate when we're mistreated. To not retaliate. Now, is that easy? No. In fact, everything in you is going to be like, retaliate, get even, get ahead even, right? And so he says, no, when you're persecuted, do not retaliate. And then he goes a step further, right? It's really, it's really uncomfortable. He warns his readers not to return insult for insult. Should we just park the car there today? <laughs> now, I want you to just think of the state of our politics right now. Right? And I want you to think about the state of our society, of our culture. What is it? It's insult for insult, isn't it? It is insult for insult. I want you to think about social media. Insult for insult. Some of you, some of you literally know that there's going to be some insults, and so you click on it just to watch people insult each other because you're just like, oh, this is going to be epic, right? <laughs> and, and, and that's the language. That's the norm, you guys. That's the norm. So, so if, if you want to do this his way, right, which he calls us to, it's going to look different. It means that I'm not going to get baited into that game. It means I'm not going to go insult to insult. It means if you're going to talk about me, I'm not going to go, well, guess what? I know this about you. Oh, right? Like it, it, it means I'm not going to come at you because you've come at me, right? It's a totally different way of thinking and approaching people who are against you. And guys, it's not, you know, it would be easy to go, well, they just don't know God. But it's really tough, isn't it, when you're being insulted by other people that say they're Christians. Ooh, that's when this is tough. And Paul hammers this as well. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 4.12. He says, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, he says what? We revile back? No. He says, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. And guys, he wasn't perfect. In fact, in Acts 23, we see where Paul himself is guilty of verbally retaliating against someone. And guess what he does? He apologizes. He owns it. Rather than retaliating, and this is where it gets really uncomfortable, believers are called to respond by giving a blessing. Now, the term blessing here, it means to literally to praise or to speak well of others. So how in the world do we do that? Well, we can bless, as a Jesus follower, uh, as Christians, we can bless people persecuting us by 
making the choice that regardless, I'm going to choose to love them unconditionally. I'm going to choose that. Another way we can bless someone else is to pray for their salvation, right? If they don't know God and they're insulting me, um, I should be praying for their salvation. I should be praying for them. God, I pray that you would reach them. God, I pray that you would, through the work of the Holy Spirit, draw them to yourself, right? Some of you are like, I pray that they meet you. Um, (laughs) That's not the prayer of blessing, okay? Um, And if it's for another believer, like I said, this is really tough when it's another Jesus follower, and that's the highlight right now, guys. That's what's going on. It's across the board. Christians taking shots at Christians. In fact, pastors taking shots at pastors. It is ugly. It is nasty. And and we should not be participating in that at all. That is so against the heart of Christ, his prayer, and the model we see of the church. And, and, And so literally, what do we do with that? Well, you know what we should pray? We should pray, God, I pray that they would continue to grow. I don't know what they're going through, God. I don't know what they're going through in their life right now. I know that they say they follow you. And so, Lord, wherever they're at on this journey, I pray that you would grow them. Meet them where they're at. Draw someone into their life that can help grow them in this sanctification process of becoming more like you, God. I pray for that. That is a, a blessing, okay? We can, we can, and this is probably the most difficult, we can pray We can pray a blessing on them by, one, just expressing gratitude for them, right? You know what's crazy is you see that Paul, at the end of the day, is actually able to thank God for some of these people to the point where we can actually say, you know, to somebody, you know, I'm thankful for how God's using me to grow, using you to grow me, right? <laughs> and then I think lastly, and maybe just as difficult, is we can bless people by forgiving them, by choosing to forgive, even those who persecute us. And you guys, nobody illustrated that more perfectly than Jesus, that he was able to forgive. And you guys, um, when you look at just some of these, these, these people that we go, man, incredible saints uh, of the faith, you know, uh, I think of Stephen, um, in, in the New Testament and, and how literally as, as he's done nothing wrong, he just loves Jesus. He's passionate about Jesus and he's pulled aside and he's taken and he's thrown down and they are literally stoning him to death. And, and what is his prayer? What is his thought life in that moment as he is unfairly persecuted for his faith? He says what in Acts seven sixty, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Right? Guys, let's just have a heart to heart. Is that your prayer? No. You're like, God, lightning now. Right? End it. Open the earth. Do something. Go Old Testament on them. Right? That's your prayer. But no, Stephen is literally getting, I mean, he's easy. Pain that you and I cannot fathom. My kids have accidentally hit me with a baseball. It hurt. But and that, that's his response? That's his response? A blessing over those that are persecuting him. Guys, guess who was there? Who was there for that? A young Pharisee named Saul, who, as we know, becomes Paul. He was there. 
No idea the impact that can make on someone's life. Peter uh, then states that believers have been called so that they might inherit a blessing. Now, here's what his point is here. His point is, for you believers that are, that are listening, that he's writing to, his, his point is that you've received this unearned, unmerited, eternal blessing of forgiveness. You've received that. You've received what you didn't deserve, which was, what, the punishment, the wrath, the vengeance for your sin. So since you've received that, you should be the first ones, right, to forgive. You should be the first ones uh, that, that's willing and excited to bless someone else, right? I, I, guys, I want you to just think about how backwards this thought is. Like, like we come in here, right? And, and, and if you're a Jesus follower, typically when you come in here, you are excited when we're singing. You're excited, you're having a moment with God, and what usually is the, the theme that dominates that experience? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the forgiveness. I did not deserve this. I don't deserve what you did for me. I don't deserve to be able to even come here to sing, to praise you. You're going to take communion probably later today. And as you take communion, what, what dominates your thought? Jesus, I can't believe you did this on the cross for me. I am so undeserved. Thank you so much, God. And then in one day, you get up and you're looking at other people and you're like, I'm not forgiving you. You just got what you deserved. And guess what, guys? Maybe they did. Right? But how quickly that thought enters our mind, where in one setting, we are literally overwhelmed at the blessing of forgiveness and grace. And yet, in the very next moment, I'm not giving them that, whatever. They, I mean, they're reaping what they sow, right? That's what happens. And so, yeah, I knew that was going to happen to them. I saw them doing this and doing that with their life. So <laughs> that's what you get, Right? And we have that mentality, right? I mean, we've even told our kids that, right? Well, that's what you get for playing with that. Told you not to, okay? The problem is, though, we should be the first to forgive. The first. Whatever anybody's done to us, it pales in comparison. It is minute. It is so petty compared to what we have done to a perfect and holy God. And, and, and so out of that response from God to us, we then in turn are able to what? To forgive. To be the first, to be the best at forgiving. He continues on in verses 10 through 12. He says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You're like, come on, man, get off the whole talk thing. He says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against 
those who do evil. And so here, you guys, in verses 10 through 12, Peter, if you go, man, this, these are familiar words, that's because Peter is quoting from Psalm 34, 12 through 16. He's literally quoting that to support what he's saying. He's saying, listen, uh, this isn't the first time that, that, that this has been the message. Uh, this has been recorded in Scripture. Look at where Scripture affirms this. Look at where it, it, it tells us that God's blessing rests on the people who do this, who will refrain from these evil deeds, from this evil speech, who will, who will practice this righteousness. Look at what it says. And, and, it, and it said there in the first part, and this kind of catches us off guard a little bit. Verse 10, it says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days. And, and, and your first thought is like, wait a second, is that allowed? To like desire a good life, right? Like, is that good? To, to love life because we've heard, right? We've heard the narrative that we're not to love this life, right? In fact, John 12, 25, right? Jesus, whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so we hear a verse like that and then we read Ecclesiastes, which is just like the most depressing thing ever. And, and, and we're like, yeah, I'm supposed to hate life. And so here we are walking around like this Debbie Downer. I don't even know where that came from. I don't even know who Debbie is. But, but like, literally, we're just like walking around. And we're like miserable, right? For Jesus. For Jesus. And so there we are. And we're just, man, I'm just a suffering servant. Life is awful. Praise God. He's so good. Hey, you want to go to church with me? I love, God has transformed my life. I'm so honored to hate this life for him. Don't have fun. Don't, don't you dare laugh. Don't you dare think of going on any type of vacation or anything, right? Because you are called to suffer. And we, some of us believe that. We believe that. We live that way. We literally think this calling is like, oh. huh. yeah, I'm going to go to church again. And uh, Like, you guys, that's, that's not what Jesus was talking about in John 12, 25. He, he's talking about, when we are just living for ourselves and disregarding how we're to live for him. That's what he's talking about. See, see, guys, yeah, we're, we're not to cling to this earth, okay? We're not to cling to this life. We're called to look forward to what's to come, right? But at the same time, the calling isn't to just despise our life, to just live in this depressed, I hate I, I, you know, I, I'm just looking towards heaven. That's it. That's all I have. You guys, when the apostle Paul was torn between the desire to depart and be with the Lord versus remain on earth and minister, this is what he wrote in Philippians 1, 23 and 24. He says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
You guys, the tension that he's wrestling with here is not between good and bad. It was between good and better. Do you see that? You guys, we are actually called to love this life. Okay, we're called to love it, uh, not, to, not to cling to it for our hope, not to place our faith and hope and trust in it, but we're called to love it, right? Jesus, uh, by his own mission, he said in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you hear that? So I should wake up because of Jesus excited. I should wake up because I have the Holy Spirit operating, working, empowering me in my life. So every morning I don't wake up and go, oh, I'm still on earth. Are you kidding? This is still my situation. My back still hurts. My kids are mad at me. My marriage isn't great. This is it. Wait, God, come back, please. This is the state of our culture. No, it means I wake up and I go, God, what are we going to do? What do you want to do? I'm still here. So what's the plan? What, and I should enjoy that. I should enjoy. Man, I picked up my kids last day of school this week. I was so excited. So excited to, to pick them up, to hear about, you know, their, their day. And then, and then I was just so excited to spend time with them and hang out with them. And, and to get these moments that we're going to have as a family. Like that excites me. You guys, that should excite you. That's a gift from God. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. You feel, shouldn't feel ashamed by that. He has given us this life, and, 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 and he's going to actually use your demeanor, how you act, how you operate, the joy that you live with, and he's going to use that to reach people. One of the greatest compliments I think I've ever had is by uh, this, this business owner who, who doesn't go here, and, and they, don't, they don't believe in God, and, um, and, and, and they pulled me aside one day, and, and, and they said, I just, I just want to have the excitement for life that you have. We were, me and my spouse were talking, how are you like that? And I, and I just, guys, that was one of the greatest compliments I've ever had in my life, is that I pray that that's a question that people have when they observe the joy that you live with. Because that, in and of itself, God can use especially right now. So many people are miserable and discouraged and they need to see the joy that only God can provide because that joy only comes from the peace he provides, amen? From the eternal security that he provides, from the reality that I know that he is coming back and so victory's already been won. And so me being here isn't an accident, it's not a mistake, it, it should breed excitement in my heart, in my soul. And so I pray that for us. And so believers should love the life God has given them and enjoy its goodness day by day. And so this isn't about how do we just endure, this is my burden, but it's how do I enjoy this knowing that God is in complete control. And Peter recognized the difficulty. He recognized the persecution that was gonna come that was designed to steal that joy. I mean, he stated earlier that, that, that their faith is going to cause them to be looked at as, as what? As aliens in a hostile society, right? So persecution is gonna be a part of their daily living. So he acknowledges that. 
But in spite of that suffering, he addresses these believers as the ones who, who desire to love life and see good days, and he instructs them in how to realize that desire. And so what does he then go back into? He says, we must refrain from speaking evil. We cannot be speaking evil. You guys, over and over again, you'll see warnings about your tongue in Scripture. And it's not because this, this tongue is bad. It's what comes out, right? And James 3, 6, uh, it says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Great, right? So, you guys, we have to know that. That our mouth is something that the enemy wants to use to destroy the very nature, the image, the testimony of Jesus. And so, and so he's going to try and get us to react. He's going to bait us into situations where we're going to have a really strong opinion. And, and, and all of a sudden, there it goes. And, and just as scripture calls it a fire, that fire is lit. Right? And there you go. And guys, the reality is this. None of us are above this. I, man, I struggle with this. I struggle with it. I too often have to ask for forgiveness for my mouth. And so I, I, I don't think we go, man, how do I never do this? I think the question is, can we commit to working on this? And then also, can we commit to being the first one to ask for forgiveness? Because that's what I pray, is that we're the first to ask for forgiveness. That if we lose uh, our temper with our kids, we're the first to ask for forgiveness. If we lose our temper with our spouse, we're the first to ask for forgiveness. If we lose our temper and our, we're speaking in an in evil way towards a coworker, a teammate, uh, a, a roommate, whoever it may be, another Christian, that we will be the first to ask for forgiveness. And then he says, believers have to keep their lips from speaking dis deceit. You guys, you know how you keep your lips from speaking deceit? You be committed to the truth. We must be committed to the truth. To be committed to the truth means that I'm going to be opposed to lying, to deception, to hypocrisy. And this is so critical. Why? Because Jesus warned us what our words reflect and where they come from. Like, it's really easy to just go, oh, you know me. I just struggle with my mouth, <laughs> you know. But no, Jesus says something else. In fact, in Matthew 12, 34, this is what he says. You brought a vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I can't just say, oh, you know, I talk a lot. No. No, there's something going on in my heart. There's something there that's causing me to speak that way. And guys, this isn't just for how you speak to other people. This is also important for how you speak to yourself. You also can speak evil to yourself. You can also be deceptive to yourself. And so we have to be very careful. He continues in verse 11 by, by giving us these straightforward commands. He says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek and pursue the peace, right? Seek peace and pursue it. And he's quoting again and, and from Psalm 34, 14. And he just gives us these straightforward commands. He says, listen, turn away from evil. Turn away from it. And here's my challenge to you. Turn away from evil whether you understand why or not. Just trust him. If he says it's evil, if it's not the way he's designed it, just trust him. He's perfect, right? So trust him. 
They are to do good. He says, do good. And then he says, to seek peace and pursue it. We must desire and we must pursue peace. Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And then Romans 12, 18, Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So we are called to not only desire or hope for peace, but we are called to be agents of peace. We're called to actually pursue it. Now, listen, is, is peace always possible? No, unfortunately, it's not. It's not always possible, right? Okay, not everybody is going to agree. Not everybody uh, is going to follow Jesus in that. And so there's going to be clear lines of, of different views here, right? So, but, but, he, but he's saying we should still try. As a Jesus follower, we shouldn't just wait for peace to happen, right? We should be the person that initiates it. Uh, we should be the one who wants to meet up. We should be the one who wants to follow up, wants to bring clarity, wants to reconcile. We should be the leaders in that. And then he ends this, this section in verse 12 by, by literally quoting from Psalm 34, 15, and 16, where he says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, okay? And, and so literally he is saying, this should motivate you. This, this reality should motivate you. Living this out should motivate you. Uh, why? Because he says, what? The eyes of the Lord are watching our present are towards the righteous so that he can attend to their prayer. Guys, this should be such a great incentive for you to follow through and do what he's outlined, knowing that we have confidence that God is always watching. He's waiting. He's ready to hear and listen to your prayers. You have his attention. But then he says, on the other hand, what? The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, he's not talking about those who slip up, make a mistake, right? He's talking about those that are clearly denying who he is, living in opposition to him. And he says, my face is against that. Guys, I don't know where we got the idea that God just has to listen to me, right? Well, he has to, he's God. Excuse me? Who created who, right? Guys, like if, I, if I'm not, if I'm against him, do you think he's just like, oh, bring that prayer. Let's go. No, he's not. And so I have to evaluate my life and ask, where am I at on that? Because it's not just a given blessing. One of the things I do when I uh, uh, meet with a couple to do premarital, uh, this is a warning for some of you, uh, they'll say, hey, we want you to do our, our wedding ceremony. I'll go, okay, well, let's meet up. We meet up. And then I say, okay, so here's some, here's, here's kind of how this is going to look. And then these are the requirements. And they go, uh -huh. And I say, listen, I, you know, I, I, we're going to get into your history, but I want us to make an agreement. From this moment forward, you guys aren't going to have sex. And they look at me and they just go, huh? You know, even more so now, like, why? Why are you mean? Why? I thought, you know, you seem like a nice guy. And I'm like, well, why would I ask you that? Why? Do you think I'm, I don't want you to have a great marriage? Do you think that's where I'm at? Well, no. Do you, do you think God is like, oh, I, I created marriage for them to be miserable? Well, no. 
I don't think. I mean, I've seen my parents' marriage, but that, but no, uh, I don't think so. And, and I'm like, well, God has clearly defined how we're to operate in a relationship in a way that's going to honor and glorify him. And believe it or not, in a way that's actually going to be the most fulfilling way that you can ever imagine. He's created this incredible opportunity for this oneness for you to experience. And, and he loves it so much that he wants to protect that. And, 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 and I say, and listen, I'm going to get up there if I'm doing your ceremony and I'm going to pray to him. And my prayer is going to be, God, I pray that you bless their marriage. And I tell him, I go, how do I pray that prayer if you're going to knowingly go against what he's asking you to do? I can't. And they're like, okay. Or they never meet with me again. <laughs> but ultimately, guys, you got, that's the reality. We got to do things his way. He, and it's not like he's this, he's, he's literally laying out a way for you to experience the joy in this life to the most fulfilling way you could ever imagine, but agree to do it his way. You guys, as, as we just close our time, and I know I've I've spoken a lot on this passage, but there is a way of living in the midst of this opposition, you guys, that is going to cause you to stand out in a way that the Father's face is going to be on you. And I want to invite you into living in that way. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. You're going to find yourself swimming upstream, but we have to make that decision. Does my behavior and my mouth align with my desires? And you guys, that means some work on our part, doesn't it, if we're trying to follow Jesus. But you know what? For some other people here, the question I have for you is, has the world's way for you worked? We are at a day and age when more people are miserable than they've ever been, and we're discouraged, we're frustrated, and life continues to not work out for us. And are you at the point where you're open to receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you've never made that decision?